The Bible teaches us that what we do today affects what's going to happen to us in the future or tomorrow. That we can do good things today that will allow good things to happen for us in the future. We can do bad things today that will produce bad things for us in the future. Today, we want to look at the law of sowing and reaping from the quintessential passage that talks about it. If you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap life. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap corruption. Now, there are physical laws, and we've learned to live by those physical laws. I've just got three of them. There's the law of, gra of gravitation. We, even though I don't know the scientists understand it completely. We understand it, right? It means when I drop something, it falls to the ground, right? Smaller masses attracted to larger masses. We, we understand that. There's the law of motion. And that's that once things get into motion, they tend to stay in motion unless there's something that stops it. There's the law of thermodynamics. Everything is going from, from a place of wholeness to being corrupt or everything is, is becoming less complicated as time goes on. Not, we're not talking about technology. We're talking about things degrading. The, law of second, the second law of thermodynamics. Um, there's also a first law of thermodynamics as well. Now, there are also spiritual laws that we as Christians learn to live by. And there are laws that work. We have the law of effective prayer. The Bible tells us that when we are right with God and people and we are fervent in our prayers, that our fervent prayers matter. The effective fervent prayers of a righteous man accomplishes much. When we're serious about prayer, we want to make sure we have things right with God. And if we have things wrong with people around us, take time to go and make things right with people. Make those things right and then pray fervently, at least as much as it concerns you. So the Bible says, be at peace with all men as much as it concerns you. There might be those that you go to, you're not able to make peace with, but as much as, as it concerns you, you're doing what you can. There's the law of serving others, or, or we could call it the law of greatness in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you learn to be a servant of all. You don't gain greatness by trying to be great. You gain greatness by saying, I want to be a servant. I want to serve those who are here. There's the law, what I call the law of returned mercies. You might say, I've never heard that used before. That's because I made it up today. That's where the Bible says that the mercy you give is the mercy that you're going to receive. If you are a merciful person in interacting with the people around you, then you receive mercy. And I've often said, I like to say, I need mercy. So I want to be the most merciful person there is. There's the law of return to judgment. Another, another name I made up today. That is that in the manner you judge is the manner that you're going to be judged. And so when you are tearing someone down, when you're talking poorly about them, God now hears that. Jesus said you are judged by your very words and we are affecting how God will judge us in the future. So I would like to, for the rest of my life, be that person that doesn't judge anybody. I like to tell anybody, I don't judge anybody. I'm not a judge. I don't want to judge anybody. I don't know what's going on in people's hearts. I don't know motives. I don't want to pretend that I do. I want to be harder on myself. Jesus said, judge yourself and you won't have to be judged. I want to judge myself harder than I judge other people. And then there's the law of sowing and reaping, which in our text we are covering today. The interesting thing about this law is it fits in both categories. It is a natural law. If you go out and sow, you are going to reap. You would have to learn how to do it better so you can get a, a bigger crop or, or whatever it is that you're looking for. But if you sow 
apple seeds, you're going to get apple trees. If you go, I want an orchard, then there's the science of sowing and reaping that allows you to do that. You go and you plant the trees, you work with them, you do what you've got to do to make sure that your trees are fruitful and that's the law of sowing and reaping. You don't go, I want an orchard, an apple orchard, and go out and plant lemon trees. And then go, why is there apple? You, you would never ask that question. And if you ever did, you know, I planted lemons, I was wanting apples, but I got apples, what went, what went wrong? You were going to get, you planted lemon trees. That's the problem. You planted lemon trees when you were looking to get apples. So there's a, there's a natural law of sowing and reaping. And then there is a spiritual law of sowing and reaping. And the spiritual law, although it is similar, it is different. If we sow to the spirit, from the spirit, we will reap life. If we sow to the flesh, from the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow today in iniquity, then we will reap from that iniquity in the future. If we sow today a rightness with God, then there will be blessings in the future because our fellowship with God will not be broken and we will be walking closely to him. Now, in the last chapter, we pointed out that the context of all of these statements at the end of Galatians, it's so easy to get to the end of Galatians and think that it's the New Testament equivalent of the Proverbs. You just got a bunch of these just little hot statements that are made, bear one another's burden, so to the walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill us the flesh, like it's just Proverbs. But it's not. The whole context is about the way we interact with one another. And I say it so often, but I think it is so true. What God cares about most for us is the way we interact with one another, that we are treating one another right, that we are loving one another, that we are caring to one another, that we are carrying each other's burdens. And this one is no different. The context still is in the context that some of the Galatians were biting and devouring each other. Some of the Galatians were conceited. There's the passage earlier that says you are conceited. It's interesting that word in the Greek for conceited is it's uh, the word for a lack of glory. We don't have a word in English for it. it. It means that you're without glory. And I think the closest word that we could have is insecure. So some of us are insecure and so we attack each other. A lot of times the backbiting, the fighting, the devouring, the, the pride that comes out, comes out of that insecurity. We just feel insecure in who we are. And then we end up biting, fighting and devouring one another. And I am really moved, especially this time through the book of Galatians, how much it's talking about the way we treat one another, the way we love one another, the way we sacrifice for one another, the way that we interact with, e with each other. So um, I'll give you a list of some of the things that it says. And if you've been doing Galatians with us, you know this is just in the last chapter or so. The law is fulfilled through one word, that we love one another. And that word would be love, right? We talked about that then. It's not that he didn't know that love one another was more than one word. He knew it was love. It says don't bite and devour one another or you will end up consuming one another, which is kind of a spiritual cannibalism. If you look at that picture, don't bite and devour one another because you're going to consume one another. The last thing that I want to do is consume you, is to, to somehow destroy you. I hope the last thing that you want to do in my life is to consume me somehow, somehow destroy me. The Bible tells us that within the works of the flesh, all of these are, have to do with relationships. Hatred, dissensions, envy, 
covetousness, jealousness, and outbursts of wrath. Those were all in the works of the flesh that have to do with relationships. On the other side of that, there's the fruit of the Spirit, which has to do with relationships as well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It also said, let us not be conceited. That's the passage I talked to you about that we don't really have an English word for it. It means that no glory, really literally is what it means. And um, let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And if we're insecure, now we can kind of understand how we would provoke one another and how we would envy one another when somebody's doing something or God's using them in a certain way because we have that insecurity. And in our last passage, we saw that we were to bear one another's burdens. There's burdens that we have on us that we need help with. There's things that we go through and I need a brother in Christ to come alongside of me and help me bear that. And you go through the same kind of things. And then there's things we have to bear. That's what we saw in our study last week. There's things that, that we need to bear that you can't bear it for me. I just have to bear it. There's things that you're going through. And I think anytime we get together with a, a smaller group of Christians, Maybe one of the important things to remember is that everyone there has burdens they're bearing that they have to bear. Everyone's going through something and we end up maybe attacking them or tearing them down or we backbite or we talk about them or we slander them when really they're in need of us supporting them. Really showing, first of all, like a doctor, do no harm. First, do no harm to another brother in Christ but bear one another's burdens. And out of this context comes the passage we are covering today. The context of the sowing and reaping passage is in the context of living properly towards those around us. And we're going to see that at the very end of the passage. Don't look it up yet. You can do whatever you want to do. You'll, you'll look it up. Um, now, this is not usually taught this way. This is not people don't usually look at the context of this sowing and reaping passage. This is usually spoken of in a um, motivational speaker sense. You want your life better? You want to walk closer to Christ? You want better things happening in your life? You want more money? You want to use money better? Then sow to the Spirit. And then these things are going to happen for you. Your life's going to be better because you sow to the Spirit. And if you sow to the flesh then from the flesh you're going to reap corruption and bad things are going to happen to you and you could get rid of bad things happening to you in the future if you sow to the flesh instead of sowing to the Spirit. Now, part of that's right. There's truth in that. You sow to the Spirit, things are going to be a whole lot better for you. Especially if you can step all the way back and see eternity. Then you're like, I'm really glad I sowed to the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, things are going to be bad for you and maybe even all the way back to eternity but even here and now. So there is a, a way and that's true. But it is possible that you could sow to the Spirit and have negative things happen to you now. That God may use your spirituality, your depth in Christ to take you through something to be able to minister to someone else. Paul was an apostle and yet he had a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble because of the greatness of his calling. So you could say he, he, he sowed to the Spirit and because of that, there was struggles and difficulties. So there's no, there's no guarantee that if you sow to the Spirit, then only good things are going to happen to you. 
I think standing back generally, it's true. But specifically, it might not be. It's like if I were to stand back here today and look out at all of you and say, all of you guys have a great future in front of you. And I just wanted to motivate you. I just wanted to encourage you. You all have a great future in front of you. God's going to do great things through your life. You just got to put your eyes on him and God's going to... No, but maybe that's not true for some of you. And that's why it's so dangerous to teach like that. It's good to hear that encouragement, but some people might need to hear, you're on a dangerous path. You're not, you, need to, you need to repent, you need to turn. You need to change your mind about the way you're living. Some need to hear that. And so if you only go the other route, well, then there's problems. And if we use this passage to speak about your life being better, this is like, like a self-help motivational message for you. When God gave it to us to help our relationships that may be struggling, then that's a complete misapplication. And so we'll see this. This is verses six through 10. And um, it starts off by saying, let him who is taught share, uh, who him who is taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, let me just read through this. I, I want you to get the sense of it. So it starts off by saying, do good to those who teach. We'll talk about why that's important in a minute. By the way, that could be a very self-serving passage, right? Do good to those who are, who are to those who teach. So I'm going to tell you guys how you can be good to me when I'm done here. That could be very self-serving. You got to be careful. So let me read again. We're going to read all the whole passage. Let, he, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also reaps. For he who sows to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. Do good to those who teach. Do good uh, to all, especially those of the household of faith. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap. So you see, it's about the way you treat people. That's what this whole passage is about from beginning to end. It's about sowing in such a way that you are blessing the people around you, that you are ministering to the people around you, that you are a strength and you are a support to people around you. So often we look at relationships by what I gain from that relationship instead of how can I help people around me? How can I really be a help to them? How can I be a blessing? How can I do what God wants me to do? So let's break it down. Let's break down our text. So it starts off Galatians 6, 6. Let him who taught the word, is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. The Bible says that God has given gifts to the church in the book of Ephesians. And pastor teachers were listed among these gifts. Let's consider that passage. It's Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles. Those were the foundations of the church. There are some apostles today, but an apostle is a sent out one. And we don't really use that term today. Barnabas was called an apostle. and He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. So someone today who would call themselves an apostle, you want to use it in the Greek term, it's sent out. So God sent out men to plant churches in the first century and they were apostles. Then it says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets. There were prophets in the New Testament times as well, the first century as well. Evangelists 
people that just have that special gift of sharing Christ. And I wish I had more of that gift, by the way. I'm jealous of those that have a really strong gift of evangelism. And some pastors and teachers. So that's the last set of gifts that are given. Pastors who are like a shepherd that watch over and care for the spiritual condition of the flock and teachers as well. These are gifts to the body of Christ. So we have the gifts of local pastors that care for, for the sheep. And we have the gift of pastor teachers, some who are very good, that have a very large influence, who are a gift to us. I think of the gifts I enjoy to really listen to. Watch David Jeremiah, Charles Stanley, uh, Greg Laurie, uh, Chuck Swindoll. I'm not going to start a whole list thinking of who. I'm going to just list them all. But they are gifts to our generation. In fact, I'm, you know, some people say if they're not dead, they're not red. You know what that means? That means, this is a saying pastors say, that means that they don't read anybody that's alive. They have to be dead in order to listen to them. I have kind of a little different attitude towards that. I want to read people that are in our culture and in our time. And I want to hear what God's saying to them. And I seem to learn much more into, from them than I do from somebody that lived 400 years ago, 500 years ago. That's just, that's me. Maybe I'm not as spiritual as the, if they're not dead, they're not red people. But for me, it just seems to help. So there's gifts. And here, Paul focuses on those who teach the word. Let him who is taught share in all good things with him who teaches. Let me give you a few, few th um, thoughts and scriptures. When you put yourself in the public arena, you are going to be criticized. You are going to be treated unfairly. People will say rude things. People will attack you with their words and they'll talk about you behind your back. And if you say right now, I want to be a pastor one day, that's what you're in for. And when I was a young pastor and I'm in my mid-20s at this point, I was given a cassette tape from Charles Swindoll about pastors, pastoring. And there were a few things that he said, I still remember to this day, lessons I needed to learn at 25 years old because that's a crazy young age to start a church. I don't realize that. I didn't realize that then. When people said, you're so young, I can't come here. I was just like, ah, plenty of old pastors out there to which they could have responded. And if the Lord tarries, you'll be one of them one day. But um, I listened to that tape and he said one thing that a pastor needs and if you don't have it, don't do it. He said, if you can't do this, then don't do it because it will tear you up is that you have to have a duck's back. The water has to roll off. When people say things about you, you've got to be able to shrug it off and go, no biggie, doesn't matter. And then he said, you've got to have rhinoceros skin. It's thick. So that when someone says something about you, you can just go, boom, okay, no problem. And I love when someone has apologized to me for something they said, I didn't even know they said it. They apologized to, and then that causes more problems for me. When we were, we were the affiliation for Calvary Chapel in Arizona for a lot of years, 15 years or so. And I was never more happy on the day that they took that away, that we were no longer, it, they, they re-centralized in Costa Mesa, the affiliation for Calvary Chapels. And uh, we had to get involved in some issues in, in certain Calvary Chapels in Arizona. And at one pastor's conference, the wife of a pastor came up to me, a pastor of a Calvary Chapel in Arizona, and said, I just need to repent to you because I've hated you for the last five years. I would have done much better without knowing that. If I didn't know she hated me, I would have been like, I was just being happy bliss. I just have no idea. I would have had no idea. But as soon as she told me, I found myself, why'd, why'd she hate me? Why'd she, we, we did good things for her husband. Why'd she hate me? I don't understand that. 
We all have insecurities. We all feel like we could do better. And putting yourself in the public form can really hurt at times. And you will also be encouraged by thoughtful, grateful people. And it is amazing how mean comments can get to you and how you are blessed and encouraged by the good comments. So in this, I'm certainly not saying that you should, you know, the Bible has a lot of warnings against flattery, right? So I'm not saying you flatter your pastor because the Bible warns against it. Usually because it is, it's manipulative. Usually want something when you flatter someone. So I'm certainly not saying that. I'm just saying, give honor where honor is due. And when you're blessed, when you're encouraged, when there's growth and you say, I just want you to know that you've really helped me in my spiritual walk. You don't know how powerful that is to me. And I will say to you, thank you for the encouragement. And I really mean that. Those kind of statements are very encouraging. And I don't tell you that so you will say them to me. Please don't take them that way, okay? I, like I said, this could be very self-serving. I'm telling you this for the pastors that you know or the people that you know spiritually that have ministered to you. Encourage them. Because there are people who are rude, unbelievably rude. There are people that say things. There are people that come up angry and want to pick fights. And it's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me that, um, that those kind of things take place and happen, but it does. Now, it has been said that one demeaning comment will affect you 10 times more than one encouragement comment. In other words, you need to hear 10 encouraging comments to overcome the demeaning comment. And the reason that is, is because of insecurities, because we're all insecure. Very few people in life are not insecure. And if you aren't insecure, you're probably dealing with a lot of pride issues. Other than that, you're kind of like, eh, I don't know if I'm really up to this task, God. And um, so all I'm saying is, as you are interacting with leaders, be careful what you say. You can say anything. And I, and I like to say that you can say anything. Sometimes things need to be said. Just say it in a loving way. Say it in a, in a kind way. You find a way to say it. If it's something that you see is wrong, say it. Don't ignore it. Say it. But find a kind way to say it. Maybe write it out. I am in the habit when I really get upset of writing out what I want to say and then never sending it. Helps me to vent a little bit and then to realize that's too harsh, that's too harsh, that's too harsh. I'm really glad I didn't say those things. First Peter 5, 2 and 3 talks about how pastors are supposed to shepherd. It says, shepherd the flock among you, serving as overseers. So an overseer is just someone who's trying to oversee the general condition of those under their care. It says, not by compulsion, but willingly. You're to oversee willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly because you want to not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And, and this is something that I will say often to pastors, be careful that you don't lord over the flock. Don't even begin to get into that area where you start to tell people what to do as if you are the Lord, because you're not. <laughs> He's the Lord, there is people, He's the chief shepherd, He's gonna be able to deal with them. Our, our goal, is to teach the word, to equip the body, the saints, for the work of the ministry, right? We are also told uh, to obey those who, who uh, rule over us. 
This is another passage that could be misused by someone in a, in a teaching role and probably has been. This is Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. Now, it's not talking to you about obeying them with what person to marry or what church to attend. I, I'm always suspect of a pastor that says, if you want to go to another church, you got to come ask me first. I'm like, that's probably the church you need to leave because that guy's lording over the flock. So when it says obey and be submissive, it's talking spiritually. As we are going through the scriptures and you're the good Berean who receives the word of God with all joy, but you search the scriptures to find out whether or not these things are true, that you are listening and obeying. And when we see a focus like we've seen in the last few weeks in the book of Galatians, which has been a surprise to me on the interaction that we have with one another, not devouring each other, not fighting with one another, not tearing one another down, that we go, God's saying something to this body. This is something that God is saying to us. And, and generally through the book of Galatians as well. It goes on to say, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. So let them do with, with joy and not with grief. That is the most encouraging part of that passage to me. God wants me and our other pastors to do what we do in joy, not in grief. That you would, would interact with us in such a way that it would be a joy for us to be able to minister to you. And even when you have to say something that's hard, even when you might have to bring a correction, even if you might bring something, there's been a change and I don't like it. We want to hear all those things, but we want it just be a joy. We want it to be a joy, not grievous to minister. The average pastor stays a pastor for three years. And part of that is because he's pastoring a congregation that hasn't had time to really be taught and matured. And so they're aggressive and they're attacking and they're devouring and they're fighting for position. They're fighting for power and they're doing things for selfish ambition. And all of that's going on in the church. And then here comes a pastor who's like, I get to pastor these, these wonderful, lovely people. And then within a year, they're like, I'm out of here. I quit. Because things have been so difficult and tough. And they really are lovely and wonderful people. It's just that we really are not challenged a lot in our interaction with one another. So let's, let's go on and move down this principle then. Uh, so the principle of sowing and reaping. So you see, first of all, as he's getting ready to introduce this, he talks about those who teach and doing good towards them. Then he'll revisit good, good, and good in the end. Then in Galatians 6, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now this do not be deceived reminds me of what we saw just a little bit earlier was if anybody thinks more of himself than he should, he deceives himself. We also know that sin in itself is deceptive. Hebrews tells us to avoid the deceptiveness of sin. That's why we get the list of the works of the flesh because there are, we're so easily deceived by ourselves that we can easily think that what we're doing is okay, even though it's listed as a work of the flesh. We think I'm okay, I don't have this problem. That's why Jesus said, judge yourself, you won't need to be judged. Be harder on yourself than you are on other people. That's not Jesus, that's me. Be harder on yourself than you are on other people. It will really help you out in the end. So do not be deceived. Once again, there's this danger of being deceived by yourself, being deceived by sin, being deceived by principles. But you thinking, you know what, it's all right. It's all right that I delight in the world and don't delight in God because I, I, it's just not a problem for me. It's just not, it's just not a problem. 
you're deceived. I remember years ago, one of our friends, this is, we were in Calvary, Albuquerque. One of our friends wanted to go see a movie, well, a fine, great movie, I'm sure, called Teen Lust. Of all the names for a movie, Teen Lust. So he goes to see the movie and we're, we're again in our early 20s and there's three or four of us that just go to him and say, you know, this doesn't look good. In the very least, it doesn't look good. And here you are in the church ministering. And it's, probably, it's not a good movie for you to go to. And uh, uh, he said, I don't have a problem with lust. And I remember thinking later on, why would you go to teen lust then? What would be the motivation to go to the movie if you don't have a problem with lust, right? It'd be like, I'm going to go to teen lust. Nah, I don't have a problem with that. I don't know that you'd go, nah, I don't want to go because you don't have a problem with it. But if you go, I think I'm going to go see Teen Lust. It probably tells you you got a problem with it. By the way, that would be a movie that would never be made today. So you can be self-deceived. He was self-deceived. Now, later on, all kinds of, of sexual problems came out. He was having all kinds of sexual problems. And it was heartbreaking, but it was not unforeseeable. Because when someone starts to make excuses, this is okay for me. I don't have a problem with that. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Hosea 8, 7 says, they sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind. God's not mocked. You think that God's going to go, oh yeah, you're right. You're special. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're not going to reap the whirlwind. You go ahead and sow to the wind. You're not going to reap the whirlwind. You're going to sow apple seeds. You're going to get lemons. That's going to happen to you. You're special. You, you're, you're, diff you're different than everybody else. When you sow apple seeds, you get lemons. You're different. God's not mocked. You're deceived. That's what it said. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. If you're thinking you're all right in what you're doing in sowing these seeds, you're not. And remember again, these seeds are really talking about being good to one another. So when you are tearing down someone, when you are attacking them, when you're trying to, to hurt them, when you're trying to lift yourself up by tearing someone down, God's not mocked. Job gave us some anecdotal evidence in Job 4.8. Job said, even I have seen. It's like today you would say, even I have seen inflation, right? I just paid $35 for two burgers. Even I have seen inflation. Job says, even I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. He says, I've seen, even I've seen it. It's a true biblical principle, but even I've seen it. Those who sow iniquity and trouble will reap the same. Proverbs 6, 27 says, Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Next time you're sitting at a campfire, just grab a few of those coals, bring them up in your lap for a couple of seconds and push them away and see whether or not your clothes got burned. That's the idea. You, you're, you're deceived. You think, not me. I can take fire into my bosom. It's okay. My clothes are not going to be burned. What should we do then just from that, just from that passage? There's a real repentance that needs to take place. And a repentance is a change of mind. Remember that. So, so when we go, are you thinking that it's okay for you to do this, but you're not going to be burned by it? Then change the way of thinking. When you go on a diet, that's, what, that's the first thing you do is repent. We, we have such a religious connotation to the word, but the first thing you do is go, I, 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 need, I need help. I got a problem. 
My midsection's out of control. You, so you change. And that's first of all started with repenting. And that's what we need to do here. We need to go, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me. You, we don't even know when we're deceived. We're deceived. How do we even know we're deceived if we're deceived? And so Galatians 6, 8 says, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And you can't stop this. This is going to happen. Listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs 11, 25 through 31. This is a little long, little bit of a long verse, but it's worth the read. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds what is right, but it leads to poverty. Now that's a sowing principle. There's one who sows and he increases more. You get more. When you sow a little bit, you get back a bigger uh, harvest. You don't get back what you put into it. You get back more. So when you sow good things, you get back more. When you sow bad things, you get back more. It's not just like getting back equal. The sowing and reaping principle is that you sow and you gain 30, 60, and sometimes 100 fold. And so it says there's one who scatters and increases and there's one withholds and it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will himself also be watered. The people will curse him who withholds grain. This is probably withholding grain to get a higher price. Kind of contraction. We're seeing contraction in the economies around the world today, meaning there's not enough supplies. So the price of everything is going up. That's manipulated. The oil, the different oil groups, Saudi Arabia, they, they get together to determine how much they're going to charge for, I mean, how much oil they're going to produce because they're manipulating the price of the oil. And so it says this, the people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessings is on the head of him who sells it. So you sell your grain, even though you might get a lower price, you're going to sell it because people need help and people need cheaper grain. And so you're not thinking, I'm going to withhold grain and get a higher price for it later on, but I'm going to sell it and you'll be called blessed. It goes on to say then, he who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. He who trusts in riches will, fail, will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind and the fool will be a servant to the wise at heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. If the righteous are going to receive because of their righteousness here now, how much more the ungodly and the sinners. And then in verse eight, it says in Galatians eight, here's the principle for he who sows to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. The word corruption there, again, is an interesting Greek word. It means to rot. It, it literally is something that corrodes, corrupts, rots, and is full of maggots and worms. That's the idea. In other words, when you read this, you shouldn't just be thinking of corruption like a corrupt politician. Even though that's a bad picture, that's too pretty of a picture. When you read those who sow to the flesh, from the flesh reap corruption, it's speaking of, a, of rotting flesh. It even uses the word flesh. It's speaking of rotting flesh. But he who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap everlasting life. And this is one of the problems with turning this into just an earthly thing. Yes, it's an earthly principle, but it's everlasting life. It's so much greater than what happens to you next week or next year. It's everlasting life. It's eternal. Now, these two arenas. I want to just read these passages again. Galatians 5, 19 through 20 gives us the works of the flesh. 
These are the things that you sow to the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lewdness. Those four are sexual. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, false teachings, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. If I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The practice word is important there. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that those things won't be done by believers, but these things are not to be practiced. Then Galatians 5 tells us how we sow to the Spirit. We sow to the Spirit through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against these things there is no law. Now, it's going to take time, patience, in order to see those good things come into our lives. And we might be sacrificing to help people. And so it says in verse 9, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. This means it's not going to be an immediate reward. This means that you're going to do good now and you're going to wait a while. James 1, 2 through 4 talks about trouble. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. But an interesting verse to me is James 5, 7, which is a verse about farmers. It says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for his, his precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and later rain. Do good. And even if you don't see anything good happening to you, you keep doing good. You don't grow weary in, in not doing well. You treat people right. You walk in love. You do good to them. Don't grow weary in doing good. We grow weary in doing good because sometimes we just become too introspective. Everything becomes about us. Every relationship is about us rather than us looking to serve one another. The Bible tells us the opposite. Put other people's interests above your own interests. It says not, look out not only for your own interests. You got to look out for your own interests. But don't look out only for yours, but look out for others. Now, let me give you a summary. James 5, oh, um, verse 10. Let's just cover that first. Therefore, as we have opportunity. Now, he's going to get very practical here. You guys are going to have opportunity to be able to do good to people. But this is his therefore. This is his therefore on the sowing and reaping passage. So to the, don't sow to the flesh, sow to the spirit, reap everlasting life. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Everyone that is out there. Let's do good to all. Those you're interacting with at work, those you might have personality conflicts with, those are special challenge and tests that God gives you. People that are difficult to get along with, do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. How much more to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would strengthen and lift up and help, and encourage, never tear them down. L look to see the positive and what they're going through. Not be caught up in malicious gossip or backbiting or devouring, but doing good to those of the household of faith. I look at that passage and I think, let, let, the, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. I think we're going to have a lot of opportunities to do good to all. This is the application of this passage. 
go out and sow to the spirit, do good to all. And then there's opportunities for us, especially to those of the household of faith. And may we be even more caring, forgiving, kind, tender towards one another. Because this is well-pleasing to Christ. This is what God's word tells us that God wants from his church and us, us as Christians in the family of God. Now, in summary, James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So, so James is like, the judge is at the door. Stop grumbling against one another. Let me give you one more verse on sowing and reaping. And I love this. It's probably my favorite verse on sowing and reaping, and I saved it to the end. One, uh, Psalms 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And maybe now that we understand that it's about people and not about stuff or not about position, not about power, not about stature, not about influence, it's about people. We begin to understand that people are the most important things in life. There's, there's nothing more important than the people around you. He who sows in tears will reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. A sheave is a bundle of hay you put together, right? You will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Care about people. is what the verse says. When you're sowing seeds, care about people. And you will go Come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Three things in closing. Whatever you sow, you will reap. So think about tomorrow. Don't think about today. Whatever is the day is done, it's coming. You're going to get that. That crop's on its way. But think about what you plant tomorrow. And how God even might be gracious for you if you, if you change your mind, if you repent and start to sow good things. Number two, be a patient farmer. Do good and don't grow weary. Don't be the person that goes, I've done all these good things and look what it's gotten me. Had all this trouble in my life. God's just testing you. God says that God tests us. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing they produce patience in your life. We go, I'm going to quit doing good. Maybe you don't say it exactly that way, but you might say it something like this. I'm done. I'm done with this whole thing. Be a patient farmer. Do good and don't grow weary. And finally, especially to those of the household of faith. If there's anything we gain and learn from the end of the book of Galatians, may it be that we would truly have a love for one another that would be unprecedented for us throughout the remainder of our lives, that we would just continue to love that this might be a time that God would do a work inside of us, that we would understand that people around us are, are hurting more than we know, facing more difficulties more than we know. And when someone looks like they're all right, they're bearing their own load. There's things going on behind the scenes. And most likely, if you knew everything that they were going through, there's no way you would be doing the things that you're doing if you understood it all. 
Let us be like Christ, who truly loves properly. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible passage on sowing and reaping. And thank you that you put it in the middle of do good, do good, do good, do good. So that we didn't think this is just about me and a way to get better for my life. This is about a way for me to get more for myself. It's the way that I can get more stuff for I. But it's really about us sacrificing, loving, caring for one another. What a deep, powerful, profound passage. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.